Welcome back to the Aerospace Executive Podcast. I am uh, delighted to have Carl Gould with me from uh, New Jersey. Carl is an author, a speaker, a serial entrepreneur. Um, he, uh, his specialty is about uh, seven stages of growing a great business, and he teaches companies how to grow, you know, scale their business and build great teams. So thank you for, uh, for coming on, Carl. Glad well, you're here today. Me. Appreciate it. So seven stages of growing a business. Talk a little bit about that, and then let's talk about how to grow, uh, how to grow some great teams. Sure. So I'll, I'll give you a quick overview, and then we'll dive into stage three and stage six, because I think that's probably the most uh, relevant for, for what we're talking about today. But the, um, uh, so stage one is the strategic planning stage. And that's when you get all those great ideas out of your head on the paper. Um, and that, and that's when you, you first, it, it first starts to become real, right? And you want to make that plan compelling and inspiring because in the early growth stages, there's growth stages and there's scale stages in the growth stages, especially you're going to need that team we're about to hire to be aligned around your compelling and inspiring vision. That takes us to stage two. Stage two is the specialty stage. And that's where a, uh, that's when an, uh, an authority thought leader is born. And that's when you're the sharpest tool in the shed, smartest person in the room in your subject matter. And that's when, um, and we need that because we have to have the most price flexibility because when you start adding your team on, you're going to need enough profit for the layers of management that you're about to put into your business. Stage three, we're going to talk a lot about that today, I'm sure, is the synergy stage. And that's when a team is born. That's when we, you're, you're, great, compelling um, uh, 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 ideas and plan. You're, you're you know, one of the highest paid practitioners in your niche, you're an owner operator, but you're under, under demand. You need to uh, add more implementation staff. So that's where stage three comes into play. Then we go to stage four. Stage four is the systems stage where we start to codify, process, map, document, and decide what kind of business we want to be when we grow up. Are we a license? Are we a franchise? Are we going public? Are we corporate? We're going to be multi-location. You know, we're going to be bricks and mortar. Are we going to be virtual or hybrid? All that gets decided in stage four. Stage five is the scalability or sustainability stage. And that's where the systems have taken over and they're so good that, you're, that you are now known for something other than the utility of your product and service, right? So for example, Starbucks has not been accused of good coffee for a while but they have been accused of having a great experience. Mm -hmm. Stage six is saleability. And that's when you maximize the saleability of your company. And stage six is kind of like stage three on steroids. In other words, here's where we build our management team. We built our implementation team before. Now we're building our leadership and management team. And then stage seven is the succession stage. And that's when a legacy business is born. And that's when that management team is ready to take over. Um, their vision is now part of the overall plan. And the day you, yes, you, employee number one, um, are, are about to be fired and you announce that you, and you're going up to the, board, uh, the chairman of the board or chairwoman of the board, that's the day that you say, look at that great leadership I put in place. And as a result, the business is worth more when you leave because of the new le leadership, not less. So those are the seven stages. So it's interesting. You talk about building a great team, scaling a business. It's an entrepreneurial. You know, a lot of a lot of the people I deal with, a lot of the clients I have, are entrepreneurs. 
And entrepreneurs, you know, they're, they're brilliant folks, but ultimately they have this fear of letting go. You know, they have to be in control. They hire people to, you know, help them get to the next level, but then they're fearful of getting to the next level. How do you build a great team that helps an entrepreneur? You've, you've bought and sold three businesses. How do you get an entrepreneur to start thinking, to start letting go and start to think strategically and let the employees he or she hires do the tactical stuff? Yeah, so um, there's two there's two categories of entrepreneurs as, as I see it, Craig. And the first one is, I want to make a mark. I have not reached all of my potential yet. I haven't reached my goals, you know, what I set out initially. And I want to, I want to make my impact. And then there's a second category of, of CEO that has made their mark. They've established their business. It's a pretty solid running entity, and they just don't want to screw it up. Mm-hmm. The group that doesn't want to screw it up, they're easy, easier to coach because they've had some pain, they've had some road rash, and as a result, they've taken the bumps and bruises. As a result, they've had enough pain where they realize I can't keep my arms around everything. For those of you that are trying to make a mark, um, you you know one one of the things that you re- you have to realize is that you are given only so many hours in a day, and your job is not time management. It your t- your job is time duplication, and you do that through processes, through software, through autom- automation. But in the beginning, especially. You do it through people, right? And so, um, and so the it's not it's not easy. As a matter of fact, Craig, uh, stage three, we call the graveyard of most small businesses because the business owner is simply not willing to give up control. Right. They're not willing to let other people succeed, and they're not willing to make the internal commitment to the people and the processes within a company. And that's why only four percent of businesses ever make it to a million dollars or more. Um, and only 0.4% of businesses ever make it to 10 million or more is because the, uh, the business owner oftentimes can't let go. So there's some, there's a lot of work to be done. We have to help our clients wrap their head around the fact that you can't do it alone and you have to get your ideas out of, out of your head and onto paper. So someone else can help you realize your vision. Yeah. And, and this might not just be for the business owner. It could be for the general manager or the division leader. How do you how do you coach them to give up control? How do you coach them to kind yeah. of you know sit back, hire the right people, let them do what they know how to do, and let them show you the way versus uh, you hold on you hold on for dear life with and, and yeah, it's kind of like yeah, keeping the yeah. brakes on. Well, the the first thing we do is we give them a little quiz. It's a one question quiz, and if anyone here is listening and they get this right. You will know exactly what I mean. If you get it wrong, it's even probably more impactful. But here's the quiz. The quiz is that there are two positions in every business that carry the most unqualified people in that position at any given time. So who are the two most unqualified people in any business at any given time? Number one, the CEO of a fast-growing business. Right, because if you were at one million, you're now at two. You're at two. You're now at ten. What qualifies you to be ten? You've never been ten before. Mm-hmm. Well, you're unqualified. I hate to say it. Not the second most unqualified person in a company is the person who just received a promotion. There you go. Right. So what you got? What you have to realize, general managers, salespeople that just became sales managers, line workers that just became team leads. 
The skill set that that got you promoted is not the skill set that you require at the next position. So think about it. I can't tell you how many times it works like a charm, Craig. If you want to, you want to talk somebody out of being a sales manager, here's how you do it. Salesperson comes in, they're a high-performing person, or really any producer comes in and says, I want to manage the team that I am a producer or a contributor in. We say, Great, good job. So now, whatever your job is, sales manager production manager, you know, finance manager, whatever it is, we say, cool. You see that title you're about to get sales manager, take away the first word. You never get to do that again. Never in another day in your life. You never get to sell. You don't get the instant gratification. You can't fix the problem. Everything happens to another person. And as soon as they hear that, they're like, oh, wait a minute. I'm like, oh, it gets better. Now let's focus on the second word of your title manager. What do you think you're managing? You're managing tasks. How do we track tasks? Spreadsheets. That's you, my friend. Going forward, you're all about the CRM and the ERP and the software and the Mm -hmm. Excel spreadsheets and the PowerPoints and the reports and the meetings. You're going to love it. You don't get to do anything that got you here today. You, my friend, are going to push numbers, data, and manage tasks. Who's in? right? It is, I don't know who wants the job. Everybody thinks the corner office is so great. Listen, take your office, take the bonus, keep being an individual contributor if that's your your speed. But if you are going to be a manager, you have to realize that that the first part of your title, first word, you don't get to do again. So we have to focus on the second word in your title. And what I would ask you to do is go through the things that you're about to manage, Look at the skills, the attributes, and the, techni- and the technical ability you have to have. Rank yourself on a scale of one to 10. I bet you, I can almost guarantee you, you don't rank eight or above in most of those items out of 10. Right. And so I, first thing I would do is just do an evaluation of where you're at right now. Because the very skills you have today that just got you the promotion aren't always the skills that are required to be successful in the job as manager. So first things first is we have to understand, humble ourselves and say, okay, all right, my skills got me through the door, but if I want to stay in this office, I've got some room to grow here. Best sales guy, you know, what's, what do they say? The biggest mistake companies make, they take the best salesperson and make them the sales leader. Right. And a happy marriage becomes a miserable marriage and everybody gets upset. And that person you loved so much six months ago, you now hate and that person you know, hates you. And, and, uh, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a real thing. They knew you're, you're absolutely right. And, and what we've, what we've been successful in doing Craig is sitting down with somebody and saying, all right, let's look at your title. Okay. You got the title, you got the status that comes with the title. You got the comp plan that comes with the title. Good on you. Mm -hmm. All right. But the first word in your title is probably what you're really good at, but it's the second word in your title that is going to help you stay here and ultimately get your goals. So, we need to we need to work on that and it and it you usually using a, an assessment tool or some sort of diagnostic instrument is usually a good way to have a bad cop if you will uh, that that says hey that's not me saying is you, you answered the assessment instrument you know it's it's highlighting and putting a mirror on the skill set that you need going forward and that will ultimately impact the company yeah but then but but a lot of times too and this is where the companies have fought they give battlefield promotions Boom, let's take this person, we're going to promote them up when it should be a process. And the process That's should true. be, and the process should be, we want to promote you. We like you, we want to promote you. 
from individual contributor to sales leader, sales manager. What they skip is the give us a plan that identifies your thought process that would make you a good right. sales manager. And, and it's that whole step that's skipped. And it really happens in a lot of small businesses because, you know, it's, sure it's it moving a thousand miles an hour. Nobody yeah. thinks about it. Hey, let's just take Joe or Mary. We're going to put them up there. They're great. Let's let's let them do it. And then, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm a Craig, I'm with you because I'm a big fan. Let's take one step back before we even consider the hiring process. I'm a big fan of laying out the organizational chart and on the org chart, not only saying who reports to whom, that's valuable and you want to have that, but also what are the credentials, skills, attributes required for that position? Because it takes the whole, I want to raise, I want to do, you know, I want more money. I want that corner office. It takes that conversation out because if you're an individual contributor in the office administrative team and you want to, you want to be in a management position, it's a very black and white conversation. You say, all right, well, you want that box. So you want to go from this box to that box. Did I hear that right? Yeah, I love that. Go to that box. Great. Let's open up that box. What's in it? What do we need to do? Well, in order to have that box, you need to have your SHRM, your SHRM, um, HR, you know, certification, or you need to be certified in the um, CRM, or you need to have this many certifications in this software, or you have to go to this much management training. Have you done those? Oh, there's like, a, you know, now that in and of itself, if we create that org chart and just say, what are the requirements or prerequisites for that job, everybody has full view of it. And so they could be thinking like, I'd like that position. I see what it takes. I'm either willing to do what it takes or I need to figure out what that job is because I, maybe I didn't understand it all that well or I'm not willing to do what it takes. Mm -hmm. In either case, there's just more transparency. And I have found that, you know, that your team is smart and your team, you know, the people on your team either have embraced their role and they don't have a desire to leave that role. Somebody wants to work the reception desk, they like it, it fits their lifestyle, or they work in the finance department or they do something in sales or production and they like it and they want to stay there. Cool, stay there forever. That's cool. You found your niche, awesome. If you want to advance, let's keep it transparent so you know exactly what the steps are. And employees are really good at, at once there's a system in place, how to work that system. So give them a system, give them the ladder to climb and they will climb it. You know, I don't, I don't put the fault so much on the, on the actual employee. I put the, I put the responsibility on the leadership team to create the system and the ladder for somebody to climb. Absolutely. You know, and, 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 you know, one of the best business, everybody says one of the best business books ever written, you know, obviously Jim Collins, good to great. And where I have the problem with Jim Collins, good to great is he talks about the level one individual contributor and the level five leader. And what everybody forgets is there's nothing wrong with, you know, he, he makes it think that everybody should aspire to be this level five leader. I'm like, no. why? Yeah, there's nothing you. wrong with being a great individual contributor. You know, being a great individual contributor is so much more beneficial to an organization. It, 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 it may be more beneficial to you. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. And well, I mean, yeah. look at it. You take baseball for take well, the, the easy example is Tom Brady. Tom Brady is an amazing quarterback. You know right. what? He's a terrible linebacker. Correct. He's terrible. 
He would be nowhere without it. He didn't say, oh, I've been a quarterback for my first 15 years. I'd like to try something new. He's like, I am, I am perfectly happy to play this role on whatever team I'm on for as long as I'm capable of doing it. And if you have a team member, you know, this and this where I think where you're headed, Craig, and I, I'm 100% behind you is one of the big mistakes that owners make is they take somebody who is not only happy, but high performing in one position and said, well, they must want more. Wait a minute. Let's not impose our rules and values on them. If they're happy where they're at and they're hitting singles and doubles all day long, you can score a lot of runs on that. Let them do it. Why throw them into the deep end? I mean, I got a lot of people are like, hey, look, I just I'm happy where I'm, I'm happy where I'm at. It's OK. Not everybody wants to be the president of a company. Not everybody wants to, you know, yeah. but, but. And and a person's individual goals will always win out over the company goals. If mm-hmm. the, the work is ever getting to a point where it's intruding on their personal life or compromising their, you know, intimate relationships or, you know, they don't ever see their kids or it's intruding on their health, the personal goals always win out always everybody no matter how much somebody hung in there for you but at some point their personal goals are going to win out so if someone's happy in a position leave them there try to help them be the best version of themselves that they can be and that they want to become but don't don't we we as business owners we are change agents and we're always thinking always thinking achievers are always thinking about the next thing next thing next thing next thing your team might not be. Your team might be like, listen, I want to perfect this over the next 10 years. Leave me alone. How do you get your teams to buy in? You've, 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 you've built some companies. You've scaled some companies. You've sold some companies. Along the way, you hired a lot of people. How did you get them to buy into your vision? Well, the, the more clearly I define my vision, the more I'm likely to attract the people that are already bought into it. So I tend to, you know, I became a coach in the mid, in well, in 1990, but really as a, as a job, as a profession in the mid nineties. And my passion was, I wanted coaching to be my primary gig. I had construction companies and other types of companies, but I wanted to be a coach. I wanted that to be my profession. And I wanted it to be every bit as honorable a profession as any other accountant or attorney or, or financial advisor, insurance, you name it. Right. Well, guess what I started to attract around me? People who also wanted coaching to be their primary profession. Now, there are people that it's their part-time profession. That's totally cool. That fits their their definition of success. So once I articulated my vision and it was very clear what I was doing and why I was doing it, and more importantly, how I was going about it, I attracted the people that wanted the same thing. So if your vision is between your ears, it's hard to attract people and it's it's hard to... uh, you know, uh, to uh, articulate what you're trying to accomplish to the rest of the world. If you get that vision out of your head onto paper and start sharing it with people, putting it on social media, putting it on your website, putting it on all your stationery, putting it in your email signature, people will start to realize, hey, I think I see what Carl's trying to accomplish. That's pretty cool. I'm going to ask him about that, see if there's another seat on the bus. So to me, it's, it's, it's about articulating what you're trying to do. Now, the, the, I'm very much a fan of Simon Sinek's start with why, but the other part that is important in there is the how, right? So mm-hmm. if you're trying to attract the right talent, how matters a lot, okay. right? So if you think about companies that have a strong why, Apple has a strong why, Simon Sinek uses that as an example. But you know who has not a great why, but an amazing how is Uber. Uber 
you know, they've had all sorts of culture issues and challenges and all that, mm -hmm. but their how is pretty clever. They married rating systems with Google Maps, with taxi yep. dispatch software, and then put that in the hands of everybody. That's a really cool how. And they are winning the game globally on their how, not on their why, but on their how. And so when you, when you articulate your vision, yes, you want a strong why. Why is this important to you? Why is it a top priority? What causes are you trying to advance? How are you trying to make the world a better place? But also how you are fulfilling. What's cool about your technology or your process or your intellectual property? Um, you know, and people will gravitate to you because they're going to want to learn your how. I had a strong why in the beginning, but my how in my coaching business was even bigger. How I was going about making coaching into a full-time prof profession um, was very intriguing. And we have trained over 7,000 people on our methodology in one way, shape, or form because they liked our how. So the what, eh, that's a commodity. Why and how, that's what's, gonna, that's what's going to attract and retain top talent. How do you commute, um, you know, when you talk about the why, you know, you, you're Apple and the why, but I'm, you know, I'm a small entrepreneur who's got a little aviation manufacturing business or an aerospace manufacturing business. How do you go about defining that why? You know, ultimately you see a need yep. in the product, you see a little need, you see a little, you know, how do you get out of that small mindset? It's like, okay, I, I'm going to build this little part. I'm a precision manufacturing guy. Yeah. yeah. And I see the, you know, I see a little why, but not a lot of why. First, yeah. And, and you're right. Cause sometimes when you're so focused and you're, and you got your, you know, you know, you got your nose down and you're just grinding it out. It's hard to sometimes see that, but take for a second, you're a precision manufacturer. There you are. You're a precision manufacturer of this widget. Have a look at that for a second. Just look at it and ask yourself the question. Okay. I make this part. Who does it serve? What life does it save? And what, 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 is this a component of that makes people's lives better, right? Because I make this part, it goes into an airplane that flies. That airplane transports people and goods back and forth. So you know what people are eating because I, because I make this component, right? And you know what? Because I make this component and we have a successful business, you know what? We feed a lot of families. And a lot of the kids of those families, they go to school and they play sports and they will own a home all because I do this component. So if you were to just take a moment and really reflect on the piece that you make and ask yourself, who is this impacting? What bigger assembly does this serve? Mm -hmm. And who are the people that it serves there? And if you start to ask yourself that question, Craig, you start to realize there's a real trickle effect to this little tiny component that you make mm -hmm. because whatever this goes into can't work without it. Right. We all know that you drive down the road. Everything with your car could be running fine. That mm -hmm. that fuel gauge goes down to, to empty. You, the whole car goes down. So right. without your little component, you know, how many times have we been on a plane and they would not fly because one of the overhead bin clickers wouldn't click? You know, oh, we have the maintenance crew. Like, really? You couldn't just put a bungee cord on that. We leave. That's why yeah. we sat in here for two hours. But the smallest thing grounds a plane, yeah. rightfully so. I'm glad for that. Yeah. Right. But you're, there's no insignificant part on an aircraft. None. 
And I think when somebody really reflects and says, you know what, that's a fair point, you start to realize you're part of a much bigger game. And I think your why out of that can be very inspiring. Like, man, I am making a real difference here because that plane cannot take off without this. So, so you, you, you talk reflect. about you, you talk about the seven stages of growth and 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 the seven stages of growing a business. But what if I'm more of a um, you know, what if I'm more of an established business? I'm sort of that mature industry. But, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, hey, look, we're, we, we don't want to get stale either. Do you go back to the basics of going, all right, do we do we start to think about what was the mindset we were in when we were in growth mode? And start really good question. Yeah. So stage one through three are growth stages because it's, you know, it's all hands on deck. There's not a lot of systems in place. Right. But in the aerospace industry, oh, my God, it's all about precision. It's all about systems. It's all about quality control. And uh, once you get to stage four and above, it's about scalability and scaling and automating processes that have huge, you know, high quality, mm -hmm. tiny variances, you know, very little tolerances. Mm -hmm. And you can get caught into a small mindset there. There is no question about it. And so what we recommend once you hit stage four is that you look at the diagonal opposite quadrant to the industry that you're in. So now most of aerospace is in what we would call the systemic systematic process where it's all about it's all about the duplicatable process. The diagonal opposite quadrant of that is big picture thing thinking, vision and overall execution. And so what you do is you visit the diagonal opposite quadrant and I'm giving you the short version now, given the yeah. time frame we have. But if I'm in anyone in aerospace, the first thing I'm doing is I'm saying, all right, what have we been doing that's successful? What are other people doing? Right now, where do we, where can we, or do we need to be different? Where do we need to be bold? Mm -hmm. Is it, is it being bold in our pricing or aggressive in our pricing model? Is it in our guarantees or our promises to our clients, our commitment to our clients? Mm -hmm. Right. You take you take Southwest Airlines for a moment. You know, Southwest Airlines has the highest labor rate per loaded mile in the industry. And they are at the same time the most profitable airline in the industry. They got they got very bold and they run short haul flights with union employees that they pay among the industry leader. If you were to put that formula together. Any risk manager or accountant's head would explode and say, there's no way, you can't make any money. That's it, we're out. Right. Yet they're the most successful airlines without layoffs in 31 years. How are they doing that? Well, they got very bold in their model, right? They said, what is everybody doing? We're going we're gonna to do some things differently. We are only going to be an A player in B markets. We're not going to A markets unless we're an A player. Mm -hmm. so, they own, so they're not in DFW in a big way, but they're in Dallas Love Field because right. they get preferential gate treatments. So what can you do as a small company, and sorry, as an established company that will shake up and be an industry leader? I bet you if you're an established company right now doing very well, there was probably a time that you were on the cutting edge or a pioneer or a disruptor of some sort. And, and you're exactly right. What you do is we go back to stage one, which is strategic planning, Mm -hmm. And with a fresh set of eyes, we look at the business and say, all right, what's the next thing? What's the next big thing? A good friend of mine used to work for Amazon and he used to work uh, closely with Jeff Bezos in the, in the beginning you know, when Amazon was first getting started. And Jeff Bezos would always, he said, Bezos would always say, what's the next big thing? 
What's the next big thing? We want to have the next big thing. They always want to be on the leading edge because they want to be seen as, you know, as an innovator. And if you are an established company, you actually have the resources to go back and say, you know what? Here's another product line we can launch, or here's an innovation to what we're already doing, right? Here is the 2.0 or the premium or the ultimate or the unlimited version of whatever it is we're doing now, right? We can do R&D and we can, we can establish the next chapter of our market. And so if you're an established business, you actually have some you know, additional flexibility. But you are right. You go, you circle back to stage one, spend some time there, and you almost relaunch the next version of you. So it's a cycle. I mean, even the most strategic, you know, Boeing or uh, you know, a Boeing or a Lockheed Martin or some of your most, you know, your your biggest, most scaled companies ever, they're continually going back and they're saying, Hey, look, let's go look at the seven cycles of the seventh, you know, basically the yeah. seven cycles of starting a business all over again, but on a on a more micro scale. Yeah. And, and look, for Boeing, for all of its troubles with the 737 MAX and all that sort of thing, you have to hand it to them for trying. I mean, they are still trying. They're constantly trying to innovate. They're constantly looking at the next thing. Um, uh, uh, one of my colleagues in the aviation industry is advising or spent some time with the company Boom, which is, yeah. is essentially bringing back the supersonic jet. Yeah, We haven't seen that in decades. Right. But someone's out there saying, wait a minute, let's get back to it. Right. I saw a sign at the airport. United has actually placed an order. It was originally designed for diplomatic transport. And that's where some of the sales have been to governments. But they're actually uh, I think United has an order and they expect it to come in 2028. Yeah. 100 airplanes, something like that. Definitely. Yep. Yeah. But they're trying. They're out there saying, hey, listen, guys, we see it. We're going for it. Let's and that's an established company that truthfully, when you think about it, not many people are ever going to fly on that because of the cost and the, and the, and the size of the plane. You know, it's more of a, it's more of a signal to the market that, Hey, we're out there. We're trying, we're always going to be on the leading edge and we want to provide in however small piece we can, you know, the next innovation to the marketplace. Where do you see people, you know, of the seven stages, where do you see people finding the biggest hurdles? Is it is it stage three, stage four? Is it you know yeah some you know obviously there's there's usually some you know some place where people are going I'm, I'm I'm having a hard time getting past this past this spot. Yeah. And, so the the key parts are between three and four and five and six. So between three and in three, you are still a personality driven business, okay. meaning you're still working arm you know elbow to elbow with the founder. You're still out there, you know, not a lot of systems. You're talking across the room. You're in a war room. You, you're communicating that way. And you're all just doing whatever it takes to get the job done, right? You are maximizing your effectiveness there. Mm -hmm. You have to, when you go from three to four, you have to not abandon effectiveness, but you have to now automate effectiveness and you have to become more efficient. And mm -hmm. so we call uh, stage three, the graveyard of most small businesses, Okay. you know, and you've heard this one. Here's the language. I'm going to interpret it for you, right? So, so Craig, you meet some, you see a buddy of yours at the gym, small, um, small aviation company, and um, and you see them all the time, and they're like, yeah, we're going to business, we're hiring, we've got field teams, and we've got we're automating, right? A year later, that person, and you say, well, hey, how's it going? And they say, oh, you know what? I, I, it's, I, we're not going to do that anymore. We had 15 people, three crews, people out in the field, all that. You know, I felt like I was just working to make payroll. So I cut it all back. I scaled it all back. It's me and a small team. I'm happier. I have more time to myself and we're making more money. That's code for 
I tried to hire. I didn't make a full, I don't really know who to hire and how. I, right. I tried to do systems, but I wasn't really committed. And when times got tough, I bailed on it. Um, I had all this extra overhead. And the only thing I knew was to just abandon it and get rid of it. And I went back to being a stage two and three company. Right. So stage three and four is real is the hardest place. And then from five to six, when you're now you're now for the first time entrusting the entire company to a management team, there they you it's a similar set of problems. The commitment mm-hmm. you had to make to systems at stage three and four, you have to make to your management team at stage five and six, and that could be the other bottleneck. Here's a struggle that I run into quite often. Small business wants to be big business. Small business is becoming big business, and then you run into the people in the business are going, we're not the same company we used to be, which leads me to the conversations I have with a lot of business owners. The people who got you here are not necessarily the people who get you there. Sometimes there's a natural, if, if look, once again, Change is strange to a lot of people. They don't like it. They want the, they want what was, not what could be. The big dilemma. How do you deal with that as a boss? And do you, you know, do you start to just tell people, hey, look, maybe this this isn't the right organization for you anymore? Put put it right into the business plan. So I'll give you the speed version of how you do this. Folks, when you go from state, stage one to three, you'll keep most of your employees. When you go from three to four, from growth to scale, you're only going to retain about one third of your employees, your key employees. Two thirds are going to turn over. Not because you're a bad person or that the company's bad. It's that they like this small entrepreneurial company and they're not suited for it, nor do they even want to be part of a larger uh, company that's Mm -hmm. more systematic. Now, that will introduce a whole new labor pool that was not uh, appropriate for you when you were small that you now can engage at the larger level. So you put it right in your business plan, but you say, oh, my God, that sounds expensive. Hold on. I got you. We are no longer in the training business in your business. Okay, scrap your training program. You're not going to get rid of it. We're going to re we're going to re purpose it. We're going to call it a certification program. And what you start doing as a stage one, two, and three company that's looking to grow is start to train and certify um, all of your team in the marketable skills, hold your ears, the marketable skills that they can go out and leave you and go work somewhere else on. Wait a minute, I'm training my competitors? Yes, you are. They're leaving anyway, guys. Why would you do this? For a couple of reasons. One, if you have a strong enough certification and training program, you can get talent at below market rate because they will say, I don't care what you pay me. I want to learn what these people have, right? Xerox, IBM, Merrill Lynch used to have the premier sales pro training program Absolutely. in the country, worked there for nothing. They made a movie about it, defining uh, uh, what mm-hmm. was it? Uh, pursuit of happiness. Right. We have a client in, in Texas called Sundancer. Sundancer with a Z. And they are for, they are the, the two rocket scientists, literally from NASA, that built the cooling station, the cooling um, system on the International Space Station, who now build solar powered refrigeration systems. They get some of the top talent around the country that come and work for them and, and will almost work for nothing because they want to learn what these guys know. They're willing to teach them, right? You want to do the same thing. Whatever you're great at, build a certification program. Your early employees. Will a third of them will stay on and be your next trainers and they will be your employees when you scale. Some are going to leave. They were going to leave anyway. Mm-hmm. But as long as they're there, train them up so you can mm-hmm. and tell them, 
McDonald's, I think one of the most brilliant campaigns they've been running recently is they say, we want to be America's best first job. They don't even hide it. Yep. We know you're not staying, but we're willing to have a college, a college tuition reimbursement program, a management training program. We know you're not staying. Right. Come on in. We'll train you for your second job. We just want to be your best first and, job. And, and there's nothing, you know, it's like GE, you know, the you know, GE oh, yeah. was the, was the, I don't want to call it. It was how many executives from GE went on to become CEOs of Hope, big Hope Depot of others. Yeah. Of, of yeah, think about it. You know, of of, of you know, Boeing, Ford, etc. And yeah. they all got trained in Crotonville, North Carolina, or Crotonville, New York. And everybody knew that maybe they'd stay for a couple hundred grand a year plus some stock options, or they could go make big bucks somewhere else. And and, the, they, and and if they left, they gee didn't care because there was somebody coming right up behind them that they were training. And um, the big four do this quite well. Also, they say, basically, give us your 20s. And when you hit 30 years old, if you want to stay here, stay. If not, you're likely to work in a suite, uh, in a financial mm -hmm. position at one of our clients. But that one of the things that they're thinking long term, they're saying, wait a minute, if we have all these friends in the industry that we've mm -hmm. trained, you know, they become lead sources and, you know, strategic alliance partners and joint venture partners later. So, there, there's a real value to doing that. So yeah, it can be inconvenient to turn over employees, but if you've got a program where you're making friends in the industry, they're leaving anyway. So mm -hmm. when they go, have them leave with the skills that you can leverage later on. And, and, and be nice and they'll remember you and, and it's come back to you one day, they're your customer. So it's, it's, uh, it's all good. So you, you know, Anj, you've been a coach for a long time. When at what point do business? When are businesses coming to you? At what yeah? When are businesses coming to you? At what stage are they coming to you early on? Going, hey, look, I I know I need it. Are they coming along? Going, I'm 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 feeling a little bit up against a wall, or I'm feeling stuck, or yeah. I just want to take it to the next level. At, at what point are they they coming to Carl Gold and saying, help me? Unfortunately, it's it's when they're a little bit stuck. I wish they came a little earlier because then right. they wouldn't have to be stuck. But what tends to happen is, you remember those remember those two categories. I want to make a mark and I don't want to screw it up. Well, they're trying to make a mark, but either their growth is not profitable or the the initial go to market strategy they had isn't going the way they thought, and they or they can't figure out the differentiator. I got a good product, but I don't know how to take this thing to market, or They've hit they they're the in the I don't want to screw it up point and they um, uh, and and but their their uh, results are flat. So the last three years, either revenue or profit was flat, and what they've tried to do to fix it hasn't worked. And COVID, the pandemic, has really magnified that. So COVID was is not most people's problem here, businesses. It, it what it did was it magnified the flaw in your business model and in your management style or management system. And right. so, yeah, every, every, it's not a knock. Every business has a flaw in its model and every business has a flaw in its management side. You can't be all things to all people all the time. So what it's done though, is it said, Hey, listen, here's the mirror. Here's where you need to work on. And they didn't have the answer for that. And so that's when people tend to pick up the phone and say, all right, I need somebody from the outside looking in. Mm -hmm. um, and we are almost always the outside voice because we've gone out of our way to be industry agnostic 
because when it comes to an industry, if you're in the jar, you can't read the label. While we're outside the jar, we can read the label. We can see what's going on from a macro standpoint. We see what's going on in other industries and we can say, all right, we get this. We know other industries that have dealt with this. We know how to deal with it here. And we can oftentimes bring innovation to those clients because that's where it comes from, the front lines of other industries. Everybody needs a coach. I mean, I, I, I talk to business leaders. The first thing, yeah, they're, they're talking to me and they're all frustrated. And the first thing I ask them is, do you, do you have a business coach? Yeah. You, know, you need one. You know, why, why don't, you go, get, why don't you go get one? Exactly. What top performer do you know that doesn't have one? I don't. And that's, exactly. I, I don't. don't fly you know, we talk about we talk about Tiger Woods. You talk about Tom Brady. You talk about Patrick Mahomes. You talk about every top. You talk about even in the Wall Street Journal. It's interesting. And now I'm gonna get put even in the Wall Street Journal on Saturday. I think if you if in the lifestyle section, they will find some outrageously successful CEO. And there's a section in there on who do you depend on when you're in a pinch, and they have five people that they all depend on. And it's, you know, it's the one thing you, you, you can't live on an island and, and too many people, they, they don't want to get coaches. They don't want to go out and get help. They, they try to, they try to get, you know, do it on their own and it doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. The co so one, one person explained it to me very well about coaching is they said, uh, think of me as a time machine because I have all the collective wisdom from all the other clients. And I've done this before. I can shorten your learning curve. So yeah, you might get to the same place without me, but if you want to go through 10 years and $10 million to figure it out, you could, or about it? we could shorten the curve a little bit here. There you go. So you yeah. got a new book coming out, I think, right? I do. The Obnoxious Offer. Um, make the offer no one else in your niche has the guts to make. Um, when, is that gonna, a, when is it coming out? It's coming out in the fall, and it was based on a, uh, a it's a tongue-in-cheek Obviously, yeah. um, the goal is not to be obnoxious as a business, but I was, as a joke, called obnoxious younger in my in my younger part of my career. And um, and it stuck. And um, and so you want to be obnoxious in value, meaning you want to provide tremendous value and also at a premium price. And and we show you how to redefine the relationship with your client. How do uh, how do people get a hold of you? Uh, carlgould.com, C-A-R-L-G-O-U-L-D.com, or my personal website is carl360.com. We'll put that on the show notes. And uh, hey, Carl, thank you for coming on. It was a great discussion today. I really enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed the latest edition of the Aerospace Executive Podcast. You can reach out to me directly, Craig at NorthStarESG.com, or check us out at www.NorthStarESG.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, or on YouTube. Just do a search for Aerospace Executive Podcast. Thanks again. I'm Craig Pippen.